This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Well, uh, good morning, church. Uh, Good morning if you're in the room. Likewise, if you're tuning in online, uh, it really is a joy to be here. Uh, Thank you, Travis. Thank you, Johnny. Thank you to the team. Uh, Thankful to God for all that he's doing in and through this church. Uh, My name is Dave. Uh, Just introduce you to my family. Uh, We are based in Brisbane. Um, uh, But I grew up on the Central Coast. I've spent more of my life on the Central Coast than anywhere else. Uh, And so I'm in town in particular for my mum's 80th birthday. Um, It was raging, um, uh, which was yesterday, uh, which was fantastic. And um, my my dad was a Baptist pastor once upon a time as well. And so I grew up in the Baptist church. And um, I remember coming to Narara Valley Baptist Church to the boys' brigade that was here. I was at Tukli Gorican Boys' Brigade, and we used to come and play mini cricket. Uh, I'm pretty sure Tukli Gorican were better than uh, Narara, but that's okay. But it really is uh, good to be here, good to be back uh, in a place that feels very much like home. Um, and as Travis said, I'm also in, engaged in working with Open Doors um, in serving persecuted Christians around the world. Uh, as most of you would know, the CEO of Open Doors uh, is here in the room, who's part of your church. So I'm freaking out this week. I do this most, most weekends I preach somewhere, but I'm freaking out that Adam Holland is in the room. Um, I'm actually not freaking out. I'm thankful to God for Adam. I'm thankful for his uh, leadership of Open Doors Australia and New Zealand. Um, and Uh, One of the things I'm encouraged by with Adam uh, in the way that he leads our organisation is the way that he leads us from the Word, Um, and he speaks regularly uh, about this church, about the leaders in the church, and about the way in which this church is a family that actually nourishes him, encourages him, and so thank you, you you nourishing the CEO of Open Doors uh, Australia and New Zealand actually uh, blesses not only him and our team, But the church in Australia and New Zealand is stronger uh, if we have a strong CEO uh, who is encouraged, uh, who is leading us from the word. And so thank you for the way that you are contributing uh, to this ministry uh, through having the Hollands as part of your church. Hey, you may not be that familiar with Open Doors. You may not be that familiar with this particular ministry. And so why does Open Doors exist? Well, Open Doors exists to help people follow Jesus all over the world, no matter the cost. We are all about strengthening the most persecuted Christians in the world. Uh, Almost 70 years ago, just after World War II, Brother Andrew, a Dutch missionary, began by smuggling Bibles from Western Europe uh, into Eastern Europe to Christians that were under oppressive regimes. Uh, And a a big part of what Brother Andrew saw was just the need for the church to be strengthened, for those who are suffering significantly to be reminded to keep trusting in Jesus. And right now, did you know that roughly one in seven Christians, that's about 360 million of our brothers and sisters in Christ, that's about three in four Christians in the Middle East, suffer high to extreme levels of persecution for no other reason than they belong to Jesus. And so while we, at times, might be separated by borders, by time, by denominations, ultimately, There is one body, the body of Christ, and we, brothers and sisters, are part of the one family, Uh, and when one part suffers, we read in Scripture, we all suffer, and when one part rejoices, we all rejoice. 
You know, the origin stories of Open Doors began with smuggling Bibles across borders and getting the Bible, getting the Word of God into the hands of uh, the persecuted church actually continues to be an important part of the mission of Open Doors. Uh, The invitation for you today uh, is to continue to be part of that work of getting the Word of God into the hands of the persecuted church. Uh, You'll find a postcard on your chair, Uh, you can get some information there, you can click through to websites. Uh, But the goal, uh, we've talked with the leaders of the church, the goal today is to raise enough funds for 80 Bibles from uh, this church across the morning service and the evening service. Uh, It costs $20 to get the Word of God into the hands of uh, a suffering Christian. Uh, And so if you're able to give over and above your regular giving towards this work this day, um, you are continuing to strengthen the persecuted church by getting the Word of God into their hands. Uh, Likewise, you'll find on the other side of that card the opportunity to pray. That is a massive part of what Open Doors do. We want you to know the stories of the persecuted church, and we want you to pray that God would strengthen them. And so please, if you're not in a position to financially contribute, uh, would you consider uh, praying uh, for the persecuted church? I think I've got a desk outside as well with more information and a whole bunch of prayer resources. I'd love to talk to you after the service. But hey, we've uh, talked about smuggling Bibles. Who's, uh, who's keen to dig into God's Word? Excellent. The left side, my left, feels a little bit stronger. Who's keen to dig into God's Word? Yeah, it's still stronger, but <laughs> why, don't we, uh, why don't we pray one more time and ask God uh, to illuminate this Word for us. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather together right now as your people. And Father, we are conscious of your people all across the globe gathering over the next 24 hours in in local churches, uh, in big churches, in underground churches. Father, we are all part of the one body. We all belong to Jesus. And Father, right now, help us in this gathering, in this moment, to have ears to hear your word. And Father, may your Holy Spirit work right now to illuminate this word, to give us insight and understanding, to know what it means. And Father, give us the courage to put it into practice. And Father, we pray this boldly and confidently because Jesus lives. And all of God's people said, Amen. What does it cost to be a follower of Jesus? What does it cost to be a follower of Jesus? Um, it's, it's, it's at one level uh, a simple question, but at one level it's a profound question and it really is getting to the heart of what ought our expectations be as Christians? What ought our expectations be as disciples? Can we expect to be casual disciples, uh, embracing and enjoying a comfortable and safe Christianity? Or does discipleship, does following Jesus come with discomfort and danger? You got the question? What does it cost to be a follower of Jesus? What does it cost to be a Christian? Now, we're going to turn to two places in answering this question. And the first place we're going to turn, most obviously, is in the Gospels. We're going to listen to Jesus, who teaches us, who sets up the expectation of what it costs to be one of His followers. That's the first place we're going to turn. But secondly, we're going to turn to our persecuted family around the world who I think demonstrate what it looks like to follow Jesus and count the cost. You know, one of the things I love about the ministry of Open Doors is um, the opportunity to regularly learn and see tangible, tactile stories 
of how God is at work in the world, of how brothers and sisters in different places under incredible pressure are putting into practice the words of Jesus, no matter the cost. And I believe that the the persecuted church can actually be one of the most significant discipleship mentors for us as we follow after Jesus. And so question, what does it cost to be a follower of Christ? If you've got a Bible, grab it out and grab it open to Luke chapter 9. And as we look at Luke chapter 9, we're going to see three things about, uh, about what it costs to follow Jesus. Uh, The three things, I'll give you the three headings to start if you're taking notes. Likewise, the headings will pop up on the screen throughout the talk. But we're going to see three things. We're going to see the Christ, the call, and the confidence. The Christ, the call, and the confidence. Who's ready for the first one? There we go, left side, strong side. Number one is the Christ. Uh, Pick it up with me in Luke chapter 9. I'm going to be reading from the ESV, but Luke chapter 9 Uh, verse 18, it says this, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Jesus puts out a snap poll. What is the voice of the people? Now, up until this point in the Gospel according to Luke, uh, the, the question on everyone's lips has been, Who is this man? Who is he? The wind and the waves obey him. The miracles he performs, the the teaching that he does with authority, the, the audacious claim that he can forgive sins. Who does this man think that he is? Who is he? And so he puts out this snap poll and the answers that come back from the voice of the people are that he's someone pretty significant. Uh, he's someone that's religious, there's, there's something perhaps even miraculous about him. But then what Jesus does is he turns it from a question to the crowds out there to a question that's much more personal to his disciples who are in front of him. And then he says, but who do you, verse 20, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. The Christ of God. Now, at one level, for us as readers of Luke's Gospel, we already knew that. We've been tracking with the narrative from Luke chapter 1. We've been tracking with the birth narrative. We, we've sung the, the Christmas carols that Christ the Saviour has been born, uh, that Christ is the Lord. Uh, we know that, but this is a significant moment. Those that have been, who are in the story, who've been walking with Jesus, who aren't reading the Gospel some thousand, two thousand years later, this is the moment when there's a clarity on, no, no, they get it. Peter gets it. Jesus is the Christ of God. Now, what what does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ of God? Well, what is a Christ? Well, a Christ at one level is just the the word king, Um, uh, the word Messiah, the word anointed one. Jesus isn't the first Christ. There were other Christs, kings, anointed messiahs in the Old Testament. And yet, the hope in the Old Testament is that one day a Christ, a king, an anointed one, a Messiah would come who'd be the king of kings, who'd be the Lord of lords, who would do what the the kings and the rulers in Israel's history in the Old Testament had failed to do. One would come, that the hopes of Israel and indeed the hopes of the world would be upon his shoulders. Peter says, you're him. You are the Christ of God. And look at verse 21. And Jesus strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one. Jesus is saying, you got it right. That is who I am. 
And what then follows, we learn that Jesus is this significant Christ, God's promised King who would come to restore the hopes of Israel and the world. And then immediately, after we learn that Jesus is the Christ, we learn what type of Christ He will be. Have a look with me at verse 22. And he said, the Son of Man must, su- Son of Man, Jesus is referring to himself, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Now, you don't read it in Luke's Gospel, but you do read it in Matthew and Mark at this moment. Do you remember what Peter does? Uh, we get a little bit more of the detail. Peter rebukes Jesus. He's like, no, that's not what it means to be the Christ. You're going to suffer and die? That's not the Jewish expectation of what the Christ would come to do. That's not the expectation that, that, that the Christ who's come to restore the fortunes of Israel, to, to topple the occupying Roman government uh, in Israel at the time. And remember what Jesus then says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You, you've actually totally missed the point because the Christ of God not only comes to rule and to reign, and that He one day will, but the Christ of God also comes to suffer. Jesus knows His path. Jesus knows what is ahead of Him. Jesus knows why He came. Jesus sets His face toward Jerusalem not long after this to begin the walk to the cross. You know, we've... um, We've just sung, uh, we've sung some amazing songs already this morning, but I love the the second song, My King Forever. Um, You gave your life for mine, nailed to the cross. You crucified all my sin and shame. It was washed by your mercy. Jesus knows that for him to be the forever king, he's actually come to suffer and die. Jesus, this is central to the mission of Jesus in the world. He is not only the conquering king, he is the suffering servant, the one who willingly goes to the cross, the sinless saviour, the only one of whom it can be said he was without sin, willingly goes to die a death on the cross in our place and for our sins. Not only has he lived a perfect life, but he dies a sacrificial death for us, for our sin, for our shame, that we could be washed by the mercy of of God. You know, Jesus says, this is why I've come. Hey, yes, you're right, I'm the Christ, but the Christ will suffer. The way of the Christ is the way of suffering. Now, he says on the third day he will be raised, but the cross comes before the crown. Death comes before resurrection. Suffering comes before glory. And so, before we talk about what it really means to follow after Jesus, we need to understand who He is and why He came and what it means for Jesus to be Jesus, what it means for Jesus to be the Christ. Have you recognised this about His identity, that He is the King, that He is the Christ, that He is the one who has come to suffer? Have you, have you seen this? Look, you might be new here today, you might be investigating Jesus. This is, this is kind of the, the bread and butter, this is central to what Christians believe. And if you are here and you've got questions about Jesus, keep coming along, keep asking those questions. But focus in particularly on His death for you and His resurrection for you. And so this is, this is the identity of Jesus. This is who He is, the Christ. He has come to suffer, to die and to be raised again. And then immediately after we've learned that, we hear the call. The call. We hear the call of discipleship. We hear a, a very clear sentence from Jesus, where He encourages every single one of us to count the cost 
of what it will mean to follow him. This is that moment to read the terms and conditions before you sign the contract. This is, this is the moment to understand what it will mean to be identified as one who belongs to Jesus. Have a look with me at uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 23. If you've got a paper Bible, I dare you to underline this verse. Jesus, and he said to all, if anyone, he said to all, he's not just talking to his disciples, he's, he's now talking more broadly, and he's not just talking to those who are already following him, but those who will come after him. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. If anyone, what, what Jesus says is non-negotiable. This is for all who want to be followers of Jesus. You know, it's easy to kind of choose the bits that we like about Jesus. Uh, It's easy to kind of go, this bit's palatable and I can kind of take on this bit in this culture and this moment. That bit, I don't quite like that. That's a little bit uncomfortable. That's That's a belief that, you know, we've kind of moved on from those type of beliefs. No, no, Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, you've got to take seriously the word of Jesus and the call of Jesus. And he says three things. He says, deny themselves. That's a big call, isn't it? Isn't that the opposite of every message that you hear? In our culture, in our time, in our moment, we are, we are, we are called to live for ourselves, to live with ourselves at the center. You know, you do you. Be your authentic self. You know, just, you, you know as long as it makes you happy. And yet Jesus says, no, no, no you're not at the center. You're not at the center. Deny yourself. Stop living with yourself as number one. And then secondly, he says, deny yourselves. And then second, take up their cross daily. What Jesus sets forth is that the daily expectation of followers of Jesus is that like he went to the cross, we will go to the cross. Like he walked the path of suffering, we will walk the path of suffering. And number three, follow me. Jesus is now number one. We trust in his death for us. We trust in his resurrection to give us eternal life. And then we live like him. We follow after him. We follow in the way of Jesus. And so if if for Jesus, cross came before crown and death came before resurrection and suffering came before glory, for us, the cross comes before the crown. Death comes before resurrection and suffering comes before glory. Can you hear the call of Jesus? It is a call to count the cost. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. The end of last year, I had the um, incredible honor of um, going on a field trip uh, with some of our Open Doors Australia and New Zealand team. Uh, what a, what a life-changing opportunity to meet many brothers and sisters uh, who suffer greatly because they're followers of Jesus, to meet those who are constantly under the threat of persecution, to meet those that have lost family members through martyrdom, and, and to learn more uh, and get to meet some of the remarkable uh, Open Doors local partners who right up and down the Nile in Egypt are just part of some incredible discipleship 
work. Uh, remarkable just to see the impact that they are having uh, and to see the way in which they are strengthening our persecuted brothers and sisters. Uh, this um, next photo is uh, taken in old Islamic Cairo. Um, uh, it was a hot day, uh, we're kind of back here in the shade, step out into the sun for a moment to take that photograph. This is an 11th century Al-Hakim Mosque. Um, 11th century, that's been standing for quite some time. Now, while we were seated in the, uh, the inner courtyard of that mosque, our tour guide, he told us a little bit of the story of how Al-Hakim became the caliph, the Islamic leader over the land of the time. He was a brutal leader. Uh, he was known as uh, the, the mad caliph, uh, the Nero of Islam. And Al-Hakim was in particular fixated on destroying Christians and Christianity. To say that Christians were marginalized uh, is an understatement under his reign of terror. Christians who didn't convert to Islam had three further choices. Number one, be killed. Uh, number two, stay home. Or number three, only leave your homes uh, if you are willing to wear a heavy iron cross around your neck. What did Christians choose? Well, Christians chose the cross. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, they must carry their cross. These believers literally carried a cross around their neck, and it left a mark. Literally, the, the weight of the cross and the chain, a big iron chain and a big iron cross hanging down in front of them meant they kind of had a, a bit of a slouch to themselves and had a mark upon their neck. Uh, they were ridiculed with the name Blue Bones because of this little mark on the back of their neck. But again, these brothers and sisters actually can, took that insult, Blue Bones, as an honour to be considered worthy to suffer disgrace for Jesus' sake. You know, our tour guide, he'd already been fairly careful about not projecting his voice too loudly in this mosque. Um, uh, but as he drew things to a conclusion, he, he invited us in to lean in and to listen carefully to his whisper. And he said these unforgettable words. He said, look up. Every stone around you has witnessed the killing of Christians. And yet here we are, talking about Jesus and the ongoing spread of Christianity in this country. You know, throughout history, Egyptian Christians since El-Hakim, who refused to convert to Islam, um, were, were tattooed on their wrists with a cross. Uh, not everyone had to literally carry a big chain around their neck, uh, but the normal procedure was Christians were branded. Now, branded with this little Egyptian cross that you can see in the photo on the screen. And yet, Rather than shrinking from wearing this symbol, subsequent generations of Christians, it's no longer a government policy that all the Christians have to be branded with the cross, but every generation and every denomination continue to willingly mark themselves with this cross to show that they are unashamed to belong to Christ crucified. On the 26th of May 2017, the mother of six, uh, Nadia, uh, her life as she knew it was shattered. 
Uh, Nadia boarded a bus, just like this bus, with relatives uh, to travel to the monastery of Saint Samuel in Minya in Egypt. We didn't go to this particular one, but we went near this particular monastery. Among those on the bus were Nadia's son uh, and Nadia's son-in-law. As they arrived on the street where the monastery was, Nadia saw some men in military clothing uh, and she just thought they're there to protect the monastery. That's not an uncommon thing to see uh, soldiers kind of protecting different parts of the city. Uh, but the opposite was true. The men, um, disguised as military, shot the wheels of the bus and then they entered it. And what followed was a shocking act of violence and sustained brutality. Uh, Nadia said these words. She said, my son-in-law was sitting in the front of the bus and they turned towards him first. They ordered him to convert to Islam, but my son-in-law showed the cross tattoo on his wrist and said, no, I will not, I am a Christian. And then he was shot. The terrorists demanded the same of all the men on the bus, one by one, forcing each one to make a choice between denying their faith or being shot. Then the intruders stopped at Haney, her son, and from her place in the back of the bus, Nadia, her heart was gripped with fear as she watched the scene unfold. And yet, like all the other men on that bus, Haney raised his wrist, wrist and Nadia witnessed the last words of her son, no, I am a Christian. And Haney too was shot and killed. I think some 24 people were killed on that bus on that day. Uh, it's a photograph of Nadia with a photograph of her son, uh, Haney, and her son-in-law, Summer. Uh, and this was um, taken by one of our local Open Doors partners. We connected with Nadia not long after this uh, act of atrocity and were a significant part of trauma care and counselling and helping her to hold on to Jesus and keep trusting Jesus uh, in the midst of such incredible grief. And yet, listen to these words from Nadia. She said, maybe you think I would, have, I would rather have seen my son make a different choice. And of course, as a mother, I'm terribly sad and angry because I lost my son. But I am happy that I witnessed the faith I raised him in. I am thankful that he wouldn't deny Christ even with his life in danger. He made the right choice, and that has been a huge comfort to me. Isn't that astonishing? You know, Nadia's story, soon after we connected with her and saw the example of her confidence and her trust in Christ, no matter the cost, uh, that story was, was shared by our local Open Doors partners, and it was a story that encouraged many uh, around the world. Uh, and here's, here's what uh, Nadia had to say after learning of something of the impact of her faith uh, impacting um, thousands, millions of Christians around the world. She said this, It's so good to hear that those who died for their faith didn't only make us in Egypt proud, but that they also made other Christians proud by not renouncing their faith. I love this. I am very glad that these people are standing with us and support us. They are brothers and sisters in Christ and we love them so much. May God bless them. I love that picture of a, of a woman uh, in Minya, Egypt, 
and that her faith is an encouragement to you and that your faith and your prayers are an encouragement to her that together we get to stand as one body, a global family. When one part suffers, we all suffer. When one part rejoices, we all rejoice. This is um, a breathtaking church um, uh, in a place called Garbage City, uh, which there's a whole story about Garbage City. This is a place where Christians have been exiled for generations. Um, the, the population of Egypt, 15, 16% of Egyptians are, are Christian, but 99% of people who live in Garbage City are Christian because the Christians have been exiled to sort through the rubbish. Uh, and at the top of this Garbage City uh, is this stunning 15,000-seat cave church built into the side of a rock, uh, a remarkable place, a remarkable place where God meets with His people. And uh, kind of as, as our trip was culminating, as we were reflecting on the stories that we heard, the people that we met, the impact that we saw through the work of Open Doors, um, uh, a, a number of our, um, of our team in a, in a booth just outside this particular church actually got marked with the same Egyptian cross tattoo. So impacted by the story of Egyptian Christians who willingly choose to be marked and identified with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And uh, personally, this, this, this was something that I already knew the story of, but to see it, to experience it, to meet my brothers and sisters, and to see what they are willing to endure, uh, this was a small reminder for me personally of what it cost to follow Jesus uh, for so many of our brothers and sisters. You know, on our way home from... Uh, Cairo the next day. Uh, we had a very late night flight and as we arrived at the airport it was dark and it, it kind of felt um, even kind of a heavy spiritual mood as we walked into the very busy uh, Cairo International Airport foyer and uh, as we were standing there waiting, it took us about 90 minutes to kind of get from the, the beginning of the foyer all the way through security and, and getting ready to kind of get onto our plane and I was conscious all of a sudden that I, that I had a cross on my wrist. And I was conscious all of a sudden that I'm thinking, no one in Australia will probably even notice this. No one in Australia will probably even know what this even means. But I'm in the one place on the planet where everyone knows that if you've got this mark on your wrist, you're a Christian. And immediately you feel a discomfort and a pressure uh, because you're a follower of Jesus. You know, those 90 minutes were actually, uh, I've, I've been following along with the story of the persecuted church for some 25 years, but those 90 minutes were a moment where I'm like, I'm conscious that this is on my wrist. And it, and, and it was nothing in so many ways, but it was a chance to walk in the shoes of a persecuted believer. And actually, for, for a moment at least, to feel something of that, oh, wow, I'm conscious that I'm marked by the cross of Christ that I'm marked in a place where hostility comes by being marked out with this particular marking. And yet the reality is for all of us, and the encouragement off the back of this talk this morning is not, hey, let's all go out and get Egyptian cross tattoos, but in what way does it, do, do our lives look like they are marked by the cross of Christ? In what way do our lives look like we are unashamed to belong to Christ crucified, to have that mark us and to have and to be marginalized because that we belong to Jesus. You know, as we conclude 
Um, We've looked at the the Christ, we've considered His call, and finally, I want you to consider the confidence that we can have as we follow the call of Christ. We live in a time where I think there's an increasing fear for Christians in Australia of what it means to follow Jesus, uh, over over the pain of of being cut off, of... um, of religious freedoms decreasing, of pressure in our schools, of workplace discrimination. There's real fears over a changing cultural moment here in Australia. And yet, I think we can have great confidence for the future as we follow the call of Christ. As we look to and learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters in places like Egypt, as we stand firm, as we take up our crosses as we deny ourselves as we follow Jesus. Look with me at the the final section there from Luke chapter 9 verse 24. Jesus says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels." You know, trusting in Christ and following His call will lead to great confidence in the future. Did you notice it there in the text? We lose our lives now, but save them for eternity. We die to ourselves in this world, but like Jesus was raised from the dead, we too will be physically raised from the dead when Jesus, as it says, comes in His glory. Cross comes before the crown, but a crown is coming. Death comes before a resurrection, but a resurrection is coming. Suffering comes before glory, but glory is coming. We can have great confidence of the crown, of the resurrection, and of the glory because of all that Christ has done for us. I believe that our persecuted brothers and sisters right now get this. And if you're feeling something of the pressures of following Jesus now... Now is the time to not only pray that God would strengthen our brothers and sisters scattered around the world, some 360 million of them suffering because they belong to Christ crucified, but now is the time to follow their example. Now is the time that we ask, God, would you give us the courage that they've got as we face what we are facing? It may not be as fiery. We may not be about to see a whole bunch of mass martyrdoms in Australia, and yet there's real pressure and there's real uh, opportunities to compromise our faith and to, and to kind of not take too seriously the call to follow the Christ. And yet as we look up and look ahead, we can have great confidence to, as we learn from our brothers and sisters and as we know of the hope that is ours in Christ. We began with the question, what does it cost to be a follower of Jesus? It costs everything, but it's worth it. Jesus is the Christ Jesus gives us the call to follow Him, and following Jesus will lead to the confidence that we can have for the future, safe and secure, because He lived, because He died, because He was raised again. You know, what does it look like, though, for us to be marked with the cross of Christ? It it doesn't have to involve getting tattoos, as I said before. But what does it look like for our lives to be impacted in such a way by the cross of Christ? Uh, The the, the Christian tradition that I'm part of and denomination that I'm part of use um, a beautiful moment in the baptism service uh, to try to mark out a Christian 
as one belonging to Christ crucified. Uh, up on the screen, you'll see these words. It says, I sign you with the sign of the cross to show that you are to that you are to be, sorry, to show that you are to be true to Christ crucified and that you are to not be ashamed to confess your faith in Him. Fight bravely under His banner against sin, the world and the devil and continue Christ's faithful soldier and servant uh, to your life's end. Uh, I'm stirred by that call and that is the call for all of us, whether that happened to us when we were baptized, whether we've heard those words before, that is what it means to belong to Christ crucified. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to urge you and even do something of a sign of the cross over you. I'm not about to do some mass baptism with a big sprinkling or open, open up and get everyone dunked, but I, I want to encourage you uh, and bless you and give you this type of a charge as you go out from this place uh, to be not ashamed, to confess your faith in Him who died and rose again. So, church, would you stand um, as we conclude with these remarkable words with the sign of the cross. Uh, brothers and sisters, I sign you with the sign of the cross to show that you are to be true to Christ crucified and that you are to not be ashamed to confess your faith in Him, to fight bravely under His banner against sin, the world and the devil and to continue as Christ's faithful soldier and servant to your life's end. Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.